study or spend some time this morning in Acts chapter 11. In a, in a story in, the, in the, the progression of the church and the, the, the evangelism of the church and the outreach of the church in a moment uh, in history when, when the church takes a pivotal shift um, in, in focus and understanding of, of who they're called to be. Acts chapter 11, which I'm going to read from these first 18 verses, is a rehash of what has just happened in Acts chapter 10. So almost two chapters of, of this book that recount the same story. And why I, I say that, why I highlight that, is that should tell us something. When, when the, the Holy Spirit leads the, the writers to recount something twice on back-to-back chapters in detail, that's a clue that this is a significant thing, that what has happened here really, really um, has significant impact. And so let's pick up the story. It is, it's, it's Peter's um, encounter, his, God's opening his eyes in a new way. Maybe that's the best way to say it. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now let's stop there for a moment. The Gentiles, those who were not Jewish. I've talked before. That's basically how we read, that those who are not Jewish are starting to hear and receive the word of God, which sounds like it should be a good thing. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. This is the rehash of chapter 10. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts and reptiles and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house, and he said, and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Friends, sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and our ears and our spirits to hear your word, the word that leads to repentance, that leads to life, that we would be challenged in faith and grow in obedience. These words, I pray, are from your Holy Spirit and that you would use them to do with us what you will. 
In Christ we pray. Amen. So let me uh, paint a picture for you. Uh, An experience or memories of, of my own um, childhood. Every summer, our family took family vacations. It was, it was just part of the rhythm of our lives. Dad always set time aside each summer to disconnect from the church, to load up the family. And, and we would most often go up to the mountains of North Carolina. Almost every summer that I can remember, we would do, very often we'd go to the mountains of North Carolina, and then we'd go to Atlanta. We'd kind of do a, a two- or three-week trip that would start there and, and head to Atlanta, and we'd do, you know, Braves games and Six Flags and things like that there. But, um, but it was there in, in the mountains that, that kind of really became the, the, the central point of, of vacation. And we had a, a member of the church that my dad had served in Maitland that had a, a cabin. It was, a, it was actually a bunch of cabins, almost like a little, little hotel, if you will, but that really doesn't do it justice. It was very rustic. And there were little apartments, and it was on the side of the mountain, and it had no television you know, there was no connection of any sorts. There was no, I don't even remember if there were phones. We went up there one winter, and in fact, we had to go down to the creek to get buckets of water just to be able to flush the toilets. And um, it was that memory that I have of going there. That was the first time my brothers and I had ever seen snow when we were up there. And it was, it was the mountains outside Burnsville, um, North Carolina, if you're familiar with that area. My youngest brother, I always remember um, the image of him. He was about three, I think, at the time. And he wouldn't wear his gloves. He just refused to wear his gloves. But at the same time, he kept picking up snow. And he, so he was holding snow in his bare hands, and he was crying because his hands were so cold. But he wouldn't let go of the snow. And that tells you a lot about my brother. You know, that kind of sets the, the tone there. But it was in preparation. It was, it was the, the traveling on these vacations, one of the things that really stands out. When I was young, my parents bought a 1976 Chevy Beauville van. Um, and if you think, wow, you have a really good memory of that van, it's because that was the van I actually drove in high school. A big van, 12 passengers. Let me tell you, nothing comforts parents better than when their daughter's date drives up in a big van to go out for a night. That was, that was always really, uh, no, I promise, no bad intentions. Um, but, but it was this big van, and we would take... We would take, the, it had three kind of bench seats in it. If you remember these kind of vans, it was, I don't know, it was 10 or 12 passengers, many people as you could get in because we didn't care about seatbelts back then. And uh, we would take out the front bench, and my parents would put a, a mattress down on the floor, and that's how we traveled. And like I said, we did stuff, and you all know this, most of you. I mean, we did stuff back in the day we, we don't do anymore. You know, how many of you remember riding in the back of pickup trucks? You know, all, I mean, through, on the interstate in Jacksonville, I remember riding on the back of a pickup truck. I mean, stuff we just wouldn't do anymore, but, but we did then. And another thing that we wouldn't do anymore, but they would, um, mom and dad would put a big Coleman, a red hard plastic Coleman cooler in the front between the two seats, and they would put the snacks and the things. But, but that cooler not only had the, the food, you know, to kind of keep the kids quiet in the back, but it served as a third seat in the front. If you wanted to move up and sit between mom and dad, you could sit up there, and sometimes if I was getting annoyed with my brothers or just wanted a change of scenery, that's where I would perch. I'd perch up on the front on the Coleman cooler behind, b beside mom and dad and, and kind of enjoy the trip. And it's sitting there that, that there's just a lot of things about those trips, a lot of memories I have, but, but I remember that it was the, the, the van itself had, you know, an old radio dial, had an 8-track tape player in it, 
and it had the hard plastic in the middle that covered kind of the electronics, the wiring and things. And that hard plastic casing, you know, could double as a drink holder, and it had a well in it where you could use to store things. And it was there that the essential piece, um, or one of the essential pieces for every trip was stored, where, where the essential pieces were kept. And it was... Fold-out maps. The fold-out maps. There was a bunch of them there, and you would go up, and a lot of times, and I remember Mom doing this, where you'd sit up there, and you'd, you know, you'd unfold the map that you could never fold right back again, and you'd figure out, Dad, where are we? You know, and you'd use the map to figure out where you were and um, where you were going. Look at this. And, And to kind of, and I mean, this was essential because this was how you mapped your course. This was how you figured out uh, where you were going and how far you had come. The map, see, I shouldn't have unfolded it. Now I'm never going to get it back together again. It was the essential piece. There you go. Is that my test? And you all, many of you remember, I mean, you could find these everywhere. Gas stations, um, AAA. I mean, they were just, they were literally free. They a lot of times would have the oil company advertising on the outside, but, but they were all over, and they were absolutely necessary. Now, here's my question. How many of you still have these in your car? Show of hands. Okay. Not as many as in the first service, let me tell you. About half of you. Half of you. You really want to confuse the youth who are over serving breakfast. Go ask them if they've ever seen one. The, the reality is these are, these are kind of a... Um, they're obsolete in a lot of ways because what these used to do, these now do. Or we have them not only on our phones. We have them built into our dashes on our cars. Uh, for a number of years, you know, we would buy the, the Tom-Toms or the Garmin's, you know, that you would, you would mount. And it gives us step-by-step directions. It tells us exactly where to go, how long we're going to get there, um, how many, you know, miles to the turn. I mean, everything is, is programmed. So, so in many ways, the maps are going the way of cassette tapes and, um, or albums before that or eight tracks, black and white televisions. I mean, things change. On a, on a side note, it was, it was interesting, the discussion we had around the dinner table last night um, Tony and, and Ryan and, and Cassie and I were sitting there. We were having dinner. And we are talking about the fact that uh, for, for many of us, the news that has dominated the last few days was the death of Prince. You know, for, for me personally, Prince was the soundtrack of, of my childhood and, and adolescence. I mean, I grew, I'm a child of the 80s. So, so you know, Prince, uh, I can remember walking to the bus stop listening to Walkman, you know, with the tape in it. Of, of Purple Rain and, and Prince albums and stuff. We were talking about that, and obviously the kids are a generation behind that, so they weren't nearly as impacted. But Friday, after the news came out that he had passed away, an interesting thing happened. MTV began to just play Prince videos. Now, here's what was interesting. My kids didn't even know MTV ever played videos. You know? I mean, think about it. Those of us, that, I mean, if you're in, again, if you're in that... Um, later 30s and, and 40s and, and 50s age, I mean, that's when MTV, they, they don't know that MTV stands for music television because that changed. Reality has changed. It's not the world that they live in anymore. That has kind of gone by the wayside. So kind of they went old, old school, which was great for those of us who are old school now. 
things, things change. Technology changes. So, so the map becomes um, kind of a relic. And in some ways, the, the question becomes, are they eventually going to be non-existent? And I hope not. And I hope not. Because maps serve a purpose. In fact, I, I was listening to, a, I think it's called a, a cartographer that draws maps. Am I pronouncing that right? For Rand McNally that said that he believes that maps will become um, they won't be central like they were anymore, but they're always going to have a place because maps do something that Google Maps and Garmin's and those kind of things don't do. They give us a full picture. They give us a big picture. What happens is our navigation zero us in. We become the center of the universe. You know, they, they tie in right where we are, and they, they, they give us a little picture, a little travel at a time. But a map allows us to see the fullness of, of the trip, of, of the beginning and of the, the destination. And it gives us a picture of some of the alternate routes that we can take to get there. You know, our, our, our GPS systems, they're designed to get us from point A to point B as quickly as possible. But sometimes the quickest way isn't always the best way. Sometimes the quickest way isn't even the most enjoyable way. And maps allow us to see in a big picture that there are other routes that we can go, other routes that we can travel that will get us to the same destination, but maybe with a different experience along the way. We did this uh, last summer when we were coming back from South Carolina, um, Ryan and, and Cassie and Tony and I, and we decided we were coming back, I believe it was from my cousin's wedding, and we were coming down to the easiest way to come from, from Greenville that we were coming was down I-85 through Atlanta, because Atlanta is such a joy to drive, and um, then down 75. And so we decided, let's road trip. You know, let's turn off the navigation, let's pull out the map, and we decided, I wanted to go through Athens, because I wanted to drive them through the, the University of Georgia so they could see where one of God's favorite teams plays. And so we did that. That's right, I knew. And, um, and so, so we did that, and it allowed us to see that there were other routes that would get us to the same place. Now, what am I building to? That's what I think happens here in the 10th and 11th chapter of Acts, is the church gets rerouted or routed in new ways, maybe a better way to say it, because they've had a very, very narrow focus on what their ministry and their mission has been up until this point. They've been very zeroed in. They've had a very small picture. And they haven't fully grasped the missional mandate that Jesus had given them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascends, he says this, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's an ever-widening circle. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And for 10 chapters in Acts, they're stuck in Jerusalem. They're stuck in a, in, a, in, a, in a literal and a figure of understanding that our ministry and our mission is to Jerusalem. And by Jerusalem, what I mean are the good and faithful Jews. The people who look like us, think like us, believe like us, behave like us. That follow the kosher laws, that follow the, the, the laws of Moses. I told you last week, if you were here, that the staff, we started reading through the Bible together and we're reading through Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is full of all those laws that God had given his people to say, you are distinct and you are different from the world. You are to act and behave and live in ways that are different from the nations that surround you when they came into the promised land. 
And part of those laws in Deuteronomy are those dietary laws, the things that they can eat and they don't eat. And so for 10 chapters, while the church is starting to grow, they're growing in a very narrow way. It's almost as if Peter's driving the bus, the apostles are driving this bus between point A and point B, but they're stuck on the interstate. And they don't see any other routes that are going to get us get them to, the, to faithfulness. They're on a journey to be faithful. That's their heart. They want to be faithful to Jesus, but they have a very, very narrow view of what that looks like. And in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, Jesus begins to reroute them. He says, we've got to expand this picture because while you're not being unfaithful, you're not being completely faithful because you are missing so much of the journey that I've called you to be on. You're missing the people who are on the journey. And he's opening up and, and beginning to redirect them. And there's a couple principles that are in the details of the story that are very, very significant that begin to guide that path. And the first is this. They had to learn. Those early followers of Jesus had to learn that Christ had called them on a pathway to all people. Okay? Hear the emphasis. All people. They needed to again understand what it meant to be my disciples to the ends of the earth. Again, they'd become very, very narrow. And in doing so, they had, whether intentionally or not, they had fenced the gospel. And what I find ironic is they had become very, very much like the Pharisees that Jesus had so many problems with. They had created a a, a parameter of what you had to do first in order to, to be worthy of the gospel of Jesus. It wasn't that you just had to be Jewish to hear the gospel, for them to believe they were called to come and share that good news with you. If you weren't Jewish, you had to become Jewish. And that's why when Peter went to Caesarea, when he went to the home of Cornelius, the the early church got so bent out of shape because he was doing things that good Jews didn't do. Because... He had understood what they needed to learn, that this gospel is for all people. And we are called to be the ambassadors to take that to all corners. And there's no areas that are off limits for the gospel. There's no areas that Jesus says, no, don't go there. They don't deserve. The gospel is for all people. And that's that's what they desperately needed to learn. And they had to start to see bigger. What happens is we become very fixed on a path. And, and, and sometimes I think in becoming fixed on a path and on a course and what we believe to be right, we miss the work of the Holy Spirit to expand our vision and help us to see, to see wider. There, there, a few years ago, uh, there was three women, they were at a conference. They were going to a conference in Washington State. And they rented a car, which, you know, we do a lot. And they had a car with a GPS in it. They didn't know where they were going, so they plugged the destination into the GPS. And they were determined very clearly that they were going to follow the GPS to the letter of the law. They were going to go where exactly where that GPS told them to go. And about 30 minutes after they started their destination, I kid you not, they drove into a lake. They drove into a lake, down a boat ramp into a lake. They were okay because that's where the GPS had told them to go. Now, I don't get at some point saying... Maybe we're not driving a boat, um, but, but they did. And I, you know, I can't tell you exactly how that happened, but it happened because they became so fixated on what they believed they should be doing that they weren't open to seeing what, you know, a, a bigger picture, if they will. The gospel's for all people. 
We have to be careful of fencing the gospel. And, and pay attention to these details. For instance, this, the, Acts, the book of Acts is about the missional mandate of the church, the church in motion, the church in motion. See, if I was Peter and, and God had given me this vision, and God had said, okay, Chris, I want, you to take the, I want you to be open to sharing the good news of Jesus with these people that you hadn't thought were part of your ministry field, part of your reach. I want to believe I'd be open to that, but I would really prefer that God send them to me. You know what I'm saying? Okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do that, but send them to me. But that, that's not what God does. God sends Peter to them. You notice that? He doesn't say, and he appears in a vision um, to Cornelius, but he doesn't say, Cornelius, you go to Peter. He says, send some men to bring Peter to you. Now, that's an important detail. The church in motion that is constantly reaching people, that is constantly getting off the main path, if you will, not the right path. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we get off the wrong, you know, we get on the wrong, but that we're willing to go into new directions to reach people because we're called to be in motion, not just to simply wait for them to come to us. Because coming to us is more convenient. I mean, I'd prefer that. It's a lot easier for me. But that's not what God does. The gospel is for all people. And then the second truth is this, and you've heard this before, that we desperately need to remember that we put people over principles. We put people over principles. Again, the early church is falling into that pharisaical trap. They were thinking like the Pharisees, in which they said, once you behave right, do right, believe right, then we can bring the gospel to you. Then you are worthy to hear the good news of Jesus. In other words, change and then believe. But what the gospel teaches us, we're called to believe and then let God's power to work change. Remember this, you and I are not called to change anybody. My ministry is not to change anybody. The Holy Spirit changes people. My job is to be a vessel to share that Holy Spirit, to share that good news of Jesus. And that's your call as well. But what happens is we too often put principle over people. And if you think you don't do that, I, I want to challenge you to think a little deeper, honestly, about your own life. And ask yourself this question. Who would walk in those doors today to come to worship that you'd look a little sideways at if they came in? That you'd kind of wonder whether they'd wandered into the wrong place? Now, look, we wouldn't admit it. I don't think any of you would say, yeah, I don't think they deserve to be here. But ask yourself in your heart. I mean, seriously reflect and think, hmm, I wonder if they came in, how open and excited I'd be to see them. Because if you can name a people group, if you can name a way of life or a thought or an ideology that creates that tension in you, then you've isolated some areas where principle is starting to supersede people in your life. And, and I struggle with that. And I, and I think many of you do as well. And it's not, it doesn't need to be um, ethnicity or, or sex or, or color of skin. It can be thought. It would be interesting to see how the dynamics of worship would change if on any given Sunday we all walked in here with the name of the political candidate we support on our shirt. <laughs> don't do it. Please don't do it. Um, but how would it change? Now, for a lot of us, it would be like none of the above. But... Um, <laughs> But seriously, how the dynamics of our interaction would change if, if everything was... Because, and this isn't a left or right, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican thing. We tend to be skeptical of those who think radically different than we do. We tend to be skeptical of those whose, whose theology is radically different than ours, whose worldview is radically different than ours. Now, 
Again, I'm not saying that we don't have principle, but we value people more. And we can relate and connect and love people without sacrificing our principle. You know what I'm saying? We can have both those things. But when principle becomes the overriding thing, if you don't think, believe, look, act the way I do, then your place is not here with us. When we've done that, we've stepped into the land of the Pharisees. And that's what the church was doing. And they were missing a whole bunch of people they were called to serve. And I wonder who we miss. I just wonder, I wonder who I miss. Because I see behaviors that unsettle me, and I just want to create distance. Yeah, Lord, I know you love them. I know all people are children of God. I know all people, but certainly you're not calling me there. Certainly that's not where my ministry is going to take me. And I wonder how many times God desperately wants to reroute my course, reroute my thinking, reroute my trajectory so that I can connect with the people that he loves, which is all people. And how often I've missed it because I've thought, surely not them, Lord. That's what the early church was doing. That's what they were doing. Not them. You want us to be ambassadors to the good Jewish people. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to be ambassadors to all people. And in this part of Acts, the entire course of the church changes. In fact, in the very next part of chapter 10, and beginning from here on out, Peter fades out of the centerpiece. In the early part of Acts, Peter's at the center. But from here on out, you know who's at the center of the story of Acts? Paul. Yeah, Jesus, I'm sorry, you're right. Jesus is always the center. But the character becomes Paul. Now, Paul's ministry and mission was always about taking the gospel to all people and to the Gentiles and those outside the traditional parameters of faith. I just think we need to be challenged. I need to be challenged in asking God, where are we being rerouted? Where do we need to, to see bigger? Where do we need to let go of the, the assumptions that we have about what faithfulness looks like, about who's in and who's out? Because the gospel is for all people, and we desperately need to put people over our principles. Hold fast to both, but don't sacrifice love for law. Don't sacrifice grace um, for, for um, requirements. Allow God to work through you to expand your vision, to reroute the course of your life when necessary to be the ambassadors he's called us to be. Peter says, who am I to stand in God's way? Brothers and sisters, let's ask ourselves the same thing. Let us never be a people that stand in God's way. Let's pray. Loving Lord, we, um, we thank you for your patience with us. In fact, we're thankful that you expanded the field because most of us here wouldn't be part of the kingdom if you hadn't because we were those outsiders that you sent the church to reach and we now are called to do the same help us to to pursue with passion the directions you call us to to see with a wider view and a faithful heart the people you've called us to love and serve all people all places at all times that's who the gospel's for for that we are thankful now created in us obedience hearts to live into that We pray in Jesus. Amen.